You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bi-weekly American history podcast. Each week, I read a story from American history to my friend... Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. It's going to be about love, my man. I hope so. All right. I don't like where he is right now. Hey. Ow. Hey. Stop it. Stop it. Jose. You. I'm your father. Respect me. Look me in the eyes. You talking to me? It's going to be about love. Are you sure? What are my eyes saying? Uh, the uh, I, just, I don't want to do this. What are my eyes saying? I don't want to do this. Yeah, that's exactly what they're saying. Oh, God. God, do you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Garrett. Is Dave okay? Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> June 19th, 1826. Good time. James Loring Brace was born in the New England town of Litchfield, Connecticut. His family was not wealthy, but quite respected. Okay. His dad, John Brace, uh, he's a teacher uh, at the well-regarded Litchfield Academy. Sure. His mother uh, had one other child, Emma. And when Charles was 15, he attended a sermon by one Horace Bushnell. And it moved him so much that he decided to become a minister. Wow. It's a good sermon. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. It's a great story. That's it? That's it. That's this is whole, a very short... That's the whole shebang. Very short podcast. You've been shebanged. This is a nollop, really. Charles went to Yale and studied uh, theology uh, okay. from 1842 to 1846. After he got out, he graduated. Uh, for a short spell, he taught in the Connecticut countryside. Then he went back to Yale and attended uh, a year of divinity school. Okay. So he's not kidding around. No, he means it. He was ordained in 1849 as a Protestant minister and met the man who changed his life and would go on to be his mentor, Horace Bushnell. Okay, so he went back to Bushnell. Back to the bush. Bushnell had written a book called Christian Nurture, which discussed the malleability of the human soul under unconscious influences. Well, you know, I think a lot of times you wait for the line, mm-hmm. and uh, here we are. There you are. From this, Charles came to believe independent spirits must be carefully nurtured in childhood to create healthy adults. Okay. It's not a crazy... No, it's not. He thought this nurturing could only be found if the child was in a family. That makes sense, too. Sort of. That couldn't be the opposite of what was going on in New York City at the time. Okay, good, good, good. The Five Points neighborhood in Manhattan had become the first slum in America in 1825. Okay. The neighborhood had been built over the Collect Pond and the swamp land north of City Hall. The Collect Pond was just, there were slaughterhouses around it and tanneries, and they just all dumped their fucking shit into this pond. So it was just this disgusting. And then they filled it over and they built a... Which is actually basically what happens today in, no, in a probably worse fashion. It's no different. Where we have like those right next to rivers and we're like, problem? What's the deal? I don't see a problem. This is just blood and poo and pee. And we drink this one. This is just blood and poo and pee. And that is a quote. Yep. 
Five Points was one of the neighborhoods not suited to large building because of the lack of bedrock. When the landfill in the neighborhood began to decay in the 1820s, so it's actually decaying and methane sure. is coming up, and it's just... It's a good situation. The houses... Started- Honey, are we sinking and does it smell like shit? Am I crazy? I feel like we're at an angle and it really just smells like someone's throwing shit up my nose. I haven't even said the house has started to tilt and sink. It did it? Yeah. Of course it did. I I didn't say that yet, but that's what I was about to say. That's what's next. That's what happens when you build on a sinkhole. Uh, Mosquitoes were everywhere, as was disease. Dave, were there any issues with this area or building on it at this time? (laughs) My God. My God. Those who could afford to leave did. Why? The people who stayed behind were poor. Gangs sprang forth, and politicians used them to get what they needed. Everyone living in the area who was not committing crimes was constantly in danger of becoming a victim. Families were packed into small living areas. They would cook, eat, sleep, all in the same room. Can you imagine a time when this would happen? Pakistan! (laughs) (laughs) With these living conditions came children who made the street their home. Well... There we go. They don't all turn out like Newsies or Oliver. And things became worse after 1840 when apprenticeships basically disappeared from small workshops. So now there's no so, hope. Right. So an apprenticeship, basically, you, you take in a young a teen. Uh, yeah, an intern. You take in a young teen for a few years. You teach him your like woodworking craft, a whatever skill. you do. And then at the end of that, he has worked for a long time, but he is now has a skill which he can take out in the world. Yeah. And uh, but that is now it's important vanishing. Right. Good. Factories started cranking out what used to be done by an adult craftsman craftsman walking over a young apprentice, and so now it's a factory. And right. So no one is learning a craft from a factory like they did from you know. Good. Gus. Good. Gus is good. So you're having a change of uh, of the way the economic system works. So it's now for a going certain pe- group of people, right? And but so now it's more it's just quantity over quality. Right, but it's also you had children who used to be able to learn a craft lo- low low on the social status, this group of kids who now have nowhere to go. So you're also create right, okay. So you're creating a uh, pocket of instability. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh then came a huge flood of European immigrants into the city between 1840 and 1855. What oh. were the rumors in the European places where they were like, it, it, you don't understand, it is all garbage and everything tilts and smells like shit, and you get bitten by bugs. How could you not go? It only takes four months to get there. So almost 70% of the immigrants came into the US, coming into the U.S. came through the city in New York. The potato famine hit Ireland, so they fled and came to America. I think I might have asked you this. What, what, what was the potato? The potato famine was they just ran out of potatoes and that was no, all they were eating? No, Good God, no. They, may, they had potatoes enough to eat, but the English would just take oh, them. Oh, they took them, that's right. They would just take them by right, guard they, and people right, would fucking right. die in the streets. Dude, are you watching him? He's really doing some gymnastics over here. I'm a little worried. Jose! He, he, just, he just jumped over that tube. I mean, what else would you do if you were him? Uh, so these people are super poor. Uh, so there's tons, the best of the best. There's tons more people looking for work that isn't available. Right. right. By 1860, half of the New York population were immigrants. The working class, who were casual laborers, were pushed into the. Un- we're gonna build a moat. We're gonna. <laughs> we're gonna build a great moat. We're gonna build an unreal moat. 
It's going to be better than the Great Moat of China. The best catch pond. <laughs> uh, We're going to have American sharks. Our ponds are going to be the filthiest ponds. <laughs> the way they used to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the working class are ca- ca- like casual laborers, right? They're pushed into the underground economy, you mm-hmm. know. Mm. Newspaper editor Horace Greenlee said two-thirds... Horace Greenlee? Yeah. Didn't he... Was he... Didn't he go on to do a bunch of shit? I'm very good at history. You might be thinking... Yeah. No, you nailed it. Yeah, but you've heard his name before. Okay. He did, But he did go on to do a bunch of shit. He... I think... Historically be- speaking. I think some of the best historians will tell you that he did he go on to d- do a bunch of do shit. Do a bunch of shit. Okay. Horace Greeley went on to do a bunch of shit... He said two-thirds of, uh, of people were living on $1 per week. Historian Edward Spahn said New York was, quote, a sparkling gem set in a pile of garbage. <laughs> okay. It still is. Yeah. Yeah, true. That is true. The diseases also would rip through the city. Epidemics of typhoid, yellow fever, or the flu took their turns killing in packed places like Five Points, it was even worse, as people died from TB, cholera, typhus, trachoma, which is an eye disease. Ugh. And then, autocorrect changed this, because it says faves, but it was something else. Oh, no, that's faves. That's where you'd overlike stuff on Twitter. <laughs> but it was a scalp disease that people died from. Ugh. Yeah, that sounds like the worst. You kind of want that eye disease if you got faves. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, Jose, keep it down. These diseases would leave many orphans. Other kids were just abandoned by their parents who could not afford to take care of them. Those are orphans. Being abandoned? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're an orphan, but... Oh, you're not in an orphanage? Orphans usually, like, the parents died, but usually, you know, people don't think of an orphan as just like, okay, thank you, can't do nothing with you, get out of here. Then you're so it's just you're either an orphan or a pickpocket, I guess. Well, you're an orphan, but I mean, they're technically they're orphans. Thank you. An example of a note left with a child outside of a nun's charity Dear sisters, by the love of God, be so kind as to take this poor orphan child, and if she should die, please to bury her for me, and I will be very happy. I cannot afford to bury her. Boy, it really, so that's a really grim, dour, sad outlook. Grim. You know, hey, what about this kid's alive? Or yeah, oh. please, ner- please take good care of this child. She's my everything. Oh, if she dies, by the way. Also, we want her to be cremated and sprinkled in the park. Please bury her instead of throwing her in the garbage like you guys do with all the other babies. Any way to get an ocean death? And other parents uh, were alcoholics. We want a naval burial. <laughs> <laughs> we want a proper naval burial for, her, if possible. Oh, that would be great to see. We'd like her stuffed and put on a flagpole. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sincerely, crazy lady who can't handle this. Uh, others had parents who were alcoholics or drug addicts. Good. Right. What all this led to was a glut of orphans on the streets of New York City. A glut. They were called street rats, gamins, urchins, gutter snipes, and street Arabs. Oh, boy. Very that last dark one got weird. End, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Well, the street Arab nickname rose out of their lifestyle of wandering the streets, peddling, and stealing. Sure. So, yeah, why not? That's, yeah. Technically, a stereotype. Well, a little bit. If you, I'm hard to poke holes in it. Different slang was uh, was used based on their ages. The older, tougher ones were called street Arabs, 
and the smaller, younger ones were gutter snipes. Interesting. The gutter so it was kind of like hockey ages. That's exactly right. Now you're peewees. <laughs> Come on, squirts. Now hey, you're street Arabs. Look who's not a gutter snipe anyway, you crazy street Arab. Uh, they, uh... A gutter snipe described by a reformer at the time. Quote, this little chap generally roams around until he finds some courageous street Arab, scarcely bigger than himself, perhaps, to fight his battles and put him in the way of making a living, which is generally done by selling papers. In time, the gutter snipe becomes a full-fledged Arab with a large clientele, two hard and steady fists, and a horde of dependent and grateful snipes. My God, very <laughs> it's different. That's a lot of jargon. Yeah, well, it almost sounds like a, a British... You want to be a street Arab? you got to get a bunch of snipes! But it also sounds like a, the uh, the commentary from a, a British yeah. uh, a nature show. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can see, slowly, the street Arab is moving down the hall. Right behind him, you see a pack of gutter snipes, and we see the alpha in front. He's the main gutter snipe, hopefully, to be a street Arab someday himself. He's the cheerleader of the main street Arab. Left behind the pack, we see the baby snipe, unable to complete... <laughs> His mission. And you can see slowly the lioness, <laughs> the lioness. eating the snipe. Uh, these, uh, these children would sleep in boxes or around steam grates. Some of them did not have winter coats, and most were barefoot. I get the steam grates. There was an estimated ten to 30,000 homeless children in New York in oh 1852. The population was 500,000. Oh, my God. They would roam around in groups begging I for mean, pennies. I mean, oh, if seeing them, you'd be like, oh, God, I'm going to switch Here this. They oh, God, come oh, God. across the street. Just like a pack of locusts. Jesus. Just, just shoeless also in shoeless, New York. Shoeless. Shoeless in New York. Smelling like gutter steam. By the way, that's my favorite uh, Meg Ryan movie, Shoeless in New York. Oh, that is a good one. That's so good. That's so good. Gerard Butler's awesome in it. Homeless girls were said to be equal to homeless boys in number, but they were more likely to be in an orphanage. Even if they had a family, the girls were also in the streets, though, helping to bring in cash for the family. So, so some s- of these kids... You'd be like a day snipe. Some of these kids aren't orphans. They are just out there selling newspapers and doing everything else they can do to make money for right. the family. singing about it. Yeah, singing about it. Um, but they pretty much could only, quote, sell papers, flowers, or themselves. Well, I'd say stick got to the weird. flowers and got, the papers. Yep, got weird there. Stick the there. Uh, some of the girls were cro- crossing sweepers. Sure. They would wait for a pedestrian who was going to cross the street. Uh, and then jaywalker. as they did, they would furiously sweep in front of the person as he or she walked. And they want a tip. Right? Yeah. Uh. They would ask for change. It's like when a homeless guy washes your windshield. It, it's honestly like in Italy, there are like a lot of gypsy families. And like you will... I mean, they're like, let me help you with your case. Let me help you with your case. Let me help you with your case. Let me help you with the case. Like nine of them. And you're like, no, no. And then they like, one of them moves your case afoot. They're like, money, money. And you're like, no, no. And they're like, money, money. And you're like, no, I didn't want you to move the case. Like, we moved the case. Where's the money? You're like, no, I'm not giving you any money. And they're like, money, money. And you're like, fuck off. And they're like, all right, fine. Oh, my God. That sounds great. Girls would also peddle or become petty thieves and pickpockets. For many, they would eventually transition into prostitution as they got older. Sophie Lyons uh, worked mostly as a pickpocket, but she also had a very small knives to, quote, slit open bags so I could get my fingers in. Whoa, alrighty. After being arrested, young Sophie testified in court that uh, after her father went to fight in the Civil War, her stepmother taught her how to steal. 
Good. Well, you want to trade, like we were saying earlier. Yeah, we you don't want to send them out with nothing. Got to have a trade. Time for you to learn. Uh, quote, all during my early childhood, I did little but steal and was never sent to school. She said she pickpocketed every day, bringing home more than $100 at night. Wow. Why yeah, would you want her in school? Cra- no, I Let's wouldn't. get to the streets, sister. Good God, yeah. Keep cutting the baggies. Quote, I did not know it was wrong to steal. Nobody ever taught me that. Good excuse. It is a great I excuse. I like that excuse. When caught, the kids were often sent to children's asylums, workhouses, uh, or almshouses, and those places were a nightmare. Great. They were overcrowded and filthy. They treated kids more like animals than humans. Uh, The kids were beaten and whipped for misbehaving. Even then, when they were 14, they were put out and expected to make their own way. So they're 14 and you're an adult now. You're a grown-up now. Okay, man, leave. All right, forget about the trauma. I haven't hit puberty yet, sir. Go forget about the trauma. Get out there. I don't know. Use your skills. I have no skills. Use your skills. You taught me how to eat. Store stuff in your scars or something. Get out of here. What about puberty? Another job well done. Many of the boys became newsies and pickpockets. I'd lo- I do. <laughs> I mean, you, just anytime you hear newsies, yeah, I great. just picture a pack of them singing in unison. Oh, tremendous. At the beginning of the street urchin wave, pickpockets and shoplifters were mostly adults, but then the kids took over. Juvenile crime at first was mostly less organized and in places like dumps, junkyards, and railroad yards. We're going to rob the dump. Got to get some filth today, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Even uh, those who had jobs were said to be lured into the world of crime, and particularly pickpocketing, because that's where the real money was. From a charity uh, for children, quote, From these child vagabonds come the pickpockets, petty thieves, small burglars, cotton baggers, copper stealers, young prostitutes, peddlers, street sweepers, and boot blacks that swarm in various parts of the city. What did boot blacks do? It's a shoe shiner. Oh, but the, it's all it's all under the guise of theft, though. It's all like the, the like you're like Do you like your shiny shoes, and he's like, these are just my socks. Where's that boy? <laughs> Uh, that's who they were in uh, contact with on the street. So basically, they're saying that any all these pickouts will grow up to be one of those shitty jobs. No jobs. kid who's no no newsy or whatever is going to grow up to be anything of use, right? And then those guys would then teach the younger kids. So it was like a right. It's a yeah. It's hard to break. It. And that's who the kids were seeing on the streets. Was yeah. those fucking? Well, they had guys. no other options. <laughs> They were getting to know and uh, looking up to the adult boxers, the pugilists, uh, oh, those are the same thing, pickpockets, cockfighters, and pub goers. For most children, as we know, the street is where they hung out. Yep. It was their workplace, their social center, and where they entertained themselves. There were no parks at this point, and playgrounds weren't coming for another 50 or 60 years. This was it. The street was the central place in a kid's life. So weird. Eventually, so weird. Eventually, pickpocketing emerged as the perfect alternative to all the disappearing apprenticeships in the changing urban economy. Usually, an older teenage pickpocket would teach the trade to what they would call their apprentices. Uh, amazing to have an apprentice. Yeah. Hey, you won't be my apprentice, eh, yeah. little one? <laughs> yeah. Get your fingers in that pocket there. <laughs> I'll show you how to do it. Slip it in, take it out, Boom. One New York detective said the kids actually went through a course of instruction. Welcome to pickpockets. 
Right, we've got a five-point plan to show you how to pick the best of pockets. Well, everything's a song. <laughs> well, you got to dig deep inside the bag to find the gold you want. Hey! <laughs> Uh, pickpocketing was, was, was reduced to a science. Other kids, as uh, was written in, all, uh, in Oliver Twist uh, by Dickens, would be taught by, you know, the Fagans. Right. Uh, older men who would show them the ropes in exchange for a place to stay. Cool guys. Good People right. never thought these people had issues. Right. Just a 47-year-old man teaching a bunch of 11-year-olds how to steal. Yeah, I'm a 47-year-old guy, and I got 34 kids living inside my space. I always remember that, though, when I was, like, growing up. Like, there would, like, sometimes there'd be, like, a 15-year-old who would just be, like, a leader of, like, 9, 11-year-olds. <laughs> and you'd be, like, weird. Like, but yeah, he'd be, like, I'm the best. <laughs> Stick with me, guys. And they'd be, like, yeah, come on, Chad's going this way on his bike. Yeah, that guy's always great. <laughs> That's the dude who returns to high school nine years oh, after he graduated yeah. to be Wait. like, oh, new soda machine, huh? Hey, you guys, Sick. You guys need a keg? Miss Cooper still teach? Oh, she doesn't? Hey, what's up, Miss Coop? Uh, Not here, huh? Uh, okay. Let's talk to... You guys don't know me, really? <laughs> Anyone want beer? I'm Teddy Clay. You Come on, Teddy, Teddy Clay. Clay. Clay, Clay. Clay, Clay, Clay. Hey, Clay time. Clay, Clay. You never heard of Clay? Come on, Clay. 30, 34 sacks. Come on, 34 sacks. This is nine, ten, eight, ten... <laughs> Eleven years ago, thirty-four six. Yeah, thirty-four no. six. Don't uh, yeah. kids. Uh, you guys look good though. Yeah, you guys are cute, you guys a bunch of good. cute, cute boys and girls. Cute boys and girls. Yeah. <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> uh, in eighteen fifty-four, police chief George Matzel said that quote crime among boys and girls has become organized as it never was previously, and they all had their own specialty based on things like how they looked. From my pickpocket quote, a boy can get next to a woman in a car or on the street for the purpose of pocket picking more easily than a man can. He is not so apt to arouse her suspicions. If he is a handsome, innocent looking boy and clever, he can go far in this line of graft. Here's a policy. Don't talk to kids at all. Oh, fuck. I would I would be. I would just be You'd have a spiked bat. Yeah, I'd be knocking Without them question. Yeah, they're, at this point, they're just like animals. You just fend them off. I mean, listen to your attitude already. I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's insane. <laughs> they're animals. Uh, so, um, oh, uh, the kids who pickpocketed women were called mall buzzers. Mall buzzers? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, though the child pickpockets did not usually go after women, just one in five victims was female. Okay. So, have to do. so that's an unexploited an order, market for them. It's an order to the street. Yeah. <clears throat> the exact uh, number of street children in the city was never agreed upon. By the 1850s, police chief uh, Matzel and the Reverend Halliday believed it was between five and ten thousand, while other groups said it was between ten and thirty thousand. I think that uh, most people now think it was ten and thirty. Okay. Which is a big number. That's huge. Big swing. Yeah. Uh, pickpocket Larry Caulfield bragged that from the ages of th- 13 to 15, quote, I made a great deal of money at picking pockets without getting into difficulties with the police. The New York Times complained that they were so good at it that pick, uh, pickpocketer was rarely captured. And if one was, and, and, and with their accomplice, they were uh, arrested, they always got off because of lack of proof. So it's okay. just a perfect. Right. Uh, when Julius Rochelle had his pocket picked, he went into a William Street establishment to look for the kid who had done it. He found a bunch of boys around a bench. 
Quote, I shoved the boys aside and found under the bench this boy with his coat off, which all thought the Cutler's boy was the pickpocket. Then all the other boys circled around him. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, had to let, I had to let my hold go of the boy as there was a crowd of boys all around who immediately rushed between me and the boy and started jeering and laughing at me. Oh, my God. He finally gave up and left. Oh, my God. So slightly They've got numbers. Yeah. They do have numbers. Also, uh, my watch is gone. God damn it. Oh, fuck. And the community, mostly being immigrants, often supported the pickpockets. George Apo was one. He got in. He got into it because uh, the other pickpockets, quote, always were well-dressed and had plenty of money. (laughs) They're the fucking hot shit. The pickpockets are now the hot shit in town. (sighs) We'll be back. (laughs) Oh, when... uh, when Apple was arrested once, he was asked if he knew the difference between right and wrong in court, and George answered, I know that I ain't doing wrong in picking pockets. So, no? He was then asked if he had a right to steal, and he said, to a certain extent, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think kind of. Yeah, that's, that's my, we all have a role to play. Mine is to take shit out of people's pockets. Yeah, I think it seems fair. Hey, what's law? Hey, what is law? Hey, why? Hey, what is this room? I don't want to get all philosophical here, but why is law? Why is law, Your Honor? Which you one's know the honor? What I'm talking about. Who is it? One day, George uh, picked a pocket and got a wallet on Wall Street. A policeman chased him, and he got away. Unfortunately, he was shot in the stomach while he ran away. Now, did they have body cams back then? Well, a lot of uh, orphans... Uh, also had their torsos reversed. Excuse me? So when you would run at them, the only way you could shoot them was in the tummy. Wait. How did he get shot in the stomach if he's running away? Oh, yeah, right. I get you. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he was running backwards, working on his calves. He went to a family he was an acquaintance with and uh, quote the good woman. Weird news! The, hey, you guys! <laughs> What's for dinner? Extra hole. Extra hole. Ah, new hole. And, quote, the good woman, Mrs. Maher, hid me between the mattress of the bed where I remained until her son went out, looked around and returned and said everything was all right. And then that He's was been the- shot. Put him where the porno is. And then that was the end of the story. There was no more word on what he did about the bullet. Did they get him the out of wound. the mattress? Yeah. He might but- still be there. This thing's lumpy. The boy! Oh, shit. Oh, God. That was two years ago. Oh, God. That one had a hole in him. He's dust. He's dust. When 14-year-old Edward Loggenstein was arrested for pickpocketing, he admitted that he was part of a thieves' school run by an older guy in Ludlow. Each day, the boys were sent to different Mr. Parts. Cooper, is there something more interesting? Well, I'm glad You're looking you out are. the window again. I'm glad you asked. Captain, my captain. Each day, the boys were sent to different parts of the city. I was very disappointed with your midterm results. They would have a pickpocking chaperone, usually an older teen, who would watch them work and give them tips as they picked pockets. So, but how much... Okay, so I guess the the general populace just doesn't have very much knowledge of this hierarchy. Otherwise, you'd be more suspicious when you saw, like, a 17-year-old talking to 12-year-olds sort of dishing out advice. Or a 17-year-old sitting around with five, five uh, 8-year-olds yeah. and then going, okay, break! And then yeah. they all scatter and run for you. Right? I mean, is that is it just that we I now... Don't, I don't know what people were thinking because these kids just kept making money. I just understand how you would talk. Like, I would, like, I mean, honestly, you would ju- I just walked down the street doing the punching machine. Yeah. And, and you get tired. 
You can also do the kicking machine. If they stole a purse, the older boy would take what was inside. After Edward stole his uh, first purse, he was approached by another adult criminal. Quote, he had heard of our achievement and, and kindly uh, staked us and gave us a few private lessons in picking pockets. We were proud enough to be taken notice of by this great man. We felt we were all rising in the world of graft and began to wear collars and neckties. What? My God. This is so weird. Uh, it just loved Little that. aristocrat. Like, hey, we got noticed by a big pickpocket. It's time to put on ties, boys. We got to start dressing the pot. I'm a pocket scout. I like what I see. <laughs> I like the way your gang moves. I like what you're doing. I like how you do it. I like what you get. But you guys, uh, you're disorganized. You don't know what you you're doing. You gotta move as a unit. You need a guy to show you the ropes, to show you around. And that guy is me, Pickpocket Perry. Also, let's start dressing like little billionaires. I'm gonna need ties. Top gentlemen. hats, gentlemen. Pickpocketing is not some slouch about crime. Nope. You come in here with a tie? Nope. You wanna go and dress like that? You'll be a newsie! Yeah. <laughs> so the idea is you just dress like a little billionaire and you're like, no, I have a disease. And they're like, oh, you couldn't be a pickpocket. Right. Tell me more. But many still had to take jobs to supplement their pickpocket incomes. What? They're, they have to get um, night jobs. Uh, or So by day they pick pockets and then things are on the up and up and at then, night? And then they have to get a side job because uh, they're not making enough pickpocketing yet. Uh, okay. Well, you're just getting into pickpocketing. You've got to have a... You gotta have a it's like a saturated a, market, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so the pickpockets would also be newsboys and shoe shiners, uh, clerks, errand boys, messengers, telegraph operators, and uh, a small few worked in factories. Some newsboys would pay for lodging... Okay. So they had enough money to pay for a place to live, but it wasn't always the best situation. Oh, shocking. Some landlords would ask the kids to do errands for them and then pay them in rum. No. No. Kind of feels like they don't have a shot. It almost is like there's no rules in this city. I mean, pay them in rum? Yeah. Hey, kid, here you want to They're 14? They're 14. Some of these kids are eight. Eight? Jesus, six. These six? Are, these are kids. There's not a... Dude. No, these pickpockets are children, some of these, who are getting paid in rum. There is in... Uh, I think it's in India. I think it is. There's this whole weird set. Like, there's this whole... Kind of like this. There are children... Oh. Who go around and will like collect recyclables and yeah. shit like that, and then they use the money they make from the recyclables or whatever they steal, and like they'll steal from shops and stuff, and they'll use it to buy uh, glue, and then they sniff glue. Oh my! God. And they're like, and they're like glue addicts, and oh they like pay God. they so they they steal t- recyclables and uh. stuff to supplement their glue addiction, and then they'll go to like movie theaters. These are like eleven year olds, and they'll go to movie theaters with like glue strips like taped under their nose, be smoking cigarettes, and just tripping out watching cartoons. And it's like a huge problem. We'll be uh, right back with more slit your wrists. <laughs> but when you see them on the glue. I'm not gonna lie. There's a party that's like that glue looks pretty decent. <laughs> These kids are really now I get up. it. <laughs> I didn't get it when they were going through the garbage. How much you now? get for a can? Jesus Christ! Bowery became the place where they all began to gather. It was like their surrogate home. Young boys quote infested the Bowery at all hours of the day and night. Is Even- it eventually just going to be like when they would smash the rats with bats? Except uh, the boys, that's, are that's there the only enough? Way this ends. Okay. 
Even kids who did have homes would often go to the Bowery and stay there without going home for days or even weeks. Hey, Mom, I'm going to go down to the Bowery. See you next month. <laughs> See you in a while. Bye. Oh, my God. Last time I saw you, you didn't have a mustache. I know. I've been in the Bowery for five years. <laughs> How's Dad? He's dead. I thought he was. All right. Well, good to catch up. Don't. Later. I love you. See you later. The kids would often gather in theaters. Investigator George McDermott went to Volk's Theater and was shocked by all the parentless children inside. There were about 200 children between 7 and 10. And oh, my God. Some adults were there, quote, for the purpose of corrupting the minds of children. Oh, my God. That's so weird. <laughs> it's a different time. Oh, sure. look, 207-year-olds <laughs> learning how to fence. Everything's fine here. The street rats even had their own theater. Sure, right. Of course they did. The ratter. The Grand Duke's Opera House. It was in a cellar of a building, and the managers, stagehands, musicians, actors, and audience were almost all young boys. What? I mean, this is insane. We're putting on a production. <laughs> Tame it at a shrew. Told by a bunch of street rats. Uh, for years, the Grand Duke's Opera House was the only theater that did not pay uh, a license fee. Okay. Wait, so what does that mean? So the city couldn't get him to pay. Oh, so this way. No, we're, so co- not we're here to collect the fee. Only, get out of here with seven. You know, they have a point. They are actually they are seven years seven. old. <laughs> Quite competent directing, though. Very say. weird. Yeah, I like the take on it. Interesting take on an old story. Costume's not so good. Your costume design was crap. So it was... Uh, also, the- where are my shoes? Where? God damn oh, it, where are my shoes? Where are my pants? Oh, fuck. Uh, so it was into this world in 1848 that Charles Loring Brace came with his ideas that every child should be in a family setting. Right. And see, there's a, an issue. There's what, some, what did there's he a see? a clash of worlds He happening. saw an issue with this time. Yeah, for some reason, this didn't fit into his... Uh, I'm sure we'll get into some of the problems of the what? era in this podcast at some point. In order uh, to save their spirits and allow them to grow to be decent, protective... You mean save their spirits adults. being rum, right? Yep. So at this point, he's 23 years old. And as bad as conditions were, the immigrant wave was just beginning, and the street rat problem was big, but not as huge as it would become. New York was Charles' ultimate nightmare. He attended the Union Theological Seminary while volunteering to help children. He also taught Latin at a local school. Charles volunteered at different New York City missions, spending most of his time at the Lewis Pieces Five Points Mission in the Heart of the Madness. Okay. At first, he and Lewis tried to help the It's kind of like Dangerous Minds, but with pickpockets. It's exactly like Dangerous Minds. But... Mm-hmm. We've been spending most our lives yeah, go ahead. living in a pickpocket's paradise. Uh. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Fuck you for making me finish. Uh, so... Um... At first, he and Lewis tried to help the impoverished adults in Five Points, who they believed had been poisoned by their life of poverty. But this proved incredibly difficult. The adults seemed to not want help and resistant. Are they stuck in their way? Interesting. Weird. Weird how that works. I would like. Excuse me. I'm sitting in shit because I want to sit in shit. Would you ever have an interest in perhaps uh, topography? Something more. 
Would you like shit? Library! Would you like to shit here too? Sorry, I should introduce myself. Uh, Don't walk away without giving me some filth. Right. Yes, I am here. The smell's ungodly. I'm here to Thank see you. if that's Thank you. This not is, a this is called living. compliment. Well, I was a newsy. Right. Gosh, incredibly big. Uh, is that gravy? Oh, uh, don't answer that. Uh, don't, don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. Uh, I, I would like to send you on a career path. It's not gravy. I've... I can tell that it's not. Now that I look at the source, it's not from the dish. But the point is, would you be interested in something a little more mainstream? I'm going to go be sick. I'll be back in five minutes. Don't take me filth. Ah, God. My God. I think I found a pig, man. My dad's over there. Sorry, I thought I I shut the door. Smells ungodly. Oh, so Is any nice. of that gravy? <laughs> so the adults didn't want help, uh, so they turned their attention to the street Arabs and gutter snipes. Charles also started writing a column for the New York Times called Walks Among the New York Poor. His descriptions were sensational for the predominantly middle-class paper readers. He called the children street rovers and explained how they would create issues for the stability of society. What? what? How could that be? What? How could an entire disenfranchised, hopeless group of people create a problem for society? I think it's just a phase. They're going to vote for Trump. <laughs> Quote, they gnawed at the foundation of society and scampered away when light was brought near them. Charles called Irish immigrants, quote, the dangerous class. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Sure, that's fine. I mean, look, everyone realized that the Irish were a nightmare. I mean, come on. Problematic. Sure. He also had a contra- contradictory uh, views on the street rovers, as he called them. He brought up the horrors of high crime due to the children's actions and included them in the dangerous class as well. The horrors of high crimes? The, uh, oh, I didn't say horrors. Okay. Horrors. 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 Oh, okay. Right. Okay. He said uh, they were what most threaten property and morals in society, but at the same time, he seemed to admire them, saying they were, quote, sharp, ready, lighthearted, quick to understand and quick to act, generous and impulsive, and with an air of being well used to steer their own canoe through whatever rapids and whirlpools. Talk about an optimist. Yeah, he's super crazy optimist. I mean, he's like... Super crazy optimist. You mean the ambitious generation, as I like to call them? The wonder, the wonders who can get through anything? The entrepreneurial six-year-olds? The shining stars of street shit? <laughs> Welcome back to the shining stars of street shit. He walked among them and tried to learn about them. He once asked... Did he go undercover as a kid? <laughs> Hey, guys, what are we doing today? Uh, where you are you? F- you want to play in the street? I'm are you big s- for my age. Why is you so big, mister? I'm seven and I'm big. You're I seven- grew a lot. Is those shoes just taped to your knees? What? I gotta go. What year was you born? Gotta go. What? Gotta get out of here. You can't move fast because his shoes is taped to his knees. This is how I was born. Let's beat him with rods. Beat him with rods. (laughs) So one day he asked, quote, My boys, what is the great end of man? 
When is he happiest? How would you feel happiest? Fuck you! And they responded, when we'd plenty of hard cash, sir. They oh, boy. Money. Yeah, there's a lot of problems Brainwashing's here. deep with this batch. He served as a preacher uh, for Blackwell's Island. Blackwell's was where the sick criminals and poor were housed. But as much as he preached about God, he just saw poverty increasing and the number of homeless children going up and up. Time he to build started, an ark. Yeah, build an ark. He started writing to a close friend that religion was inefficient. He's losing his way a little bit. Really? It's so weird. He wanted to do something about the homeless children, but didn't know what he could do. Then in 1850, his sister died of tuberculosis, which devastated him. He secluded himself in for a few days and then emerged with a new purpose. He was going to recharge his soul by going to Europe. While he was there, he observed foster care and then saw a place in Germany named the Rough House. Okay. It was... In the country, and it looked like a farm, kids labored in the fields. He thought this was the perfect answer <laughs> to save the New York kids' souls and, in turn, society. It's like a puppy haven. Yes. For people. Right. For kids. Oh, they can frolic. They can graze. They run around. We'll slop carrots. them. Wash them down with the hose. When they get big enough and plump enough, we'll eat them. <laughs> Make it to the right size. We'll eat the That's boys. That's what he didn't see. Yeah. When they, we yeah. are eating the children. <laughs> yeah, he just, and would you like to take a tour of the factory? Oh, no, I think I've seen quite enough. It's very re- rehabilitated. The heads are removed very quickly. Uh, sorry? The heads removed very quickly. Sometimes a head will stick on and a boy will talk a little longer, but then you just zap it off. But they taste so good when I talk. You have not oh. lived until you've had boykin. Oh, Bacon boykin. from boys. Boysage. Uh, have you ever boysage? had a, oh, so have you ever had a, a boys, boy worst? Oh, uh, yummy boy uh, worst. With a little boy kraut. Oh, uh, you're making me hungry. And some boy chup. Die, where's a boy? <laughs> One thing he had noticed when he toured tenements in New York was that former newsies and shoe shiners were now adults living there, and they mostly just sat drunk in back rooms. What What do you think caused this phase? I don't know. Okay. He started to realize that those jobs were dead-end jobs. First, in 1853, he started an organization called the Children's Aid Society. In 1854, the CAS built the first lodging house for working city boys, who he figured had the best chance of saving, right? So Mm -hmm. go for the Newsies first and the black boots. Right. It was called the Newsies Lodging House. He would continue to build lodging houses in the city, but his bigger and better plan came from the Rough House in Germany. From that, Charles came up with the idea of sending orphans out of New York City to live on farms far from the gang life in New York. I mean, it's great. That's a great idea. Trains On the- paper. <laughs> Trains at the time had expanded across the U.S. and were the cheapest way to travel. A ticket for a child was just $12, which was a lot cheaper than taking care of a kid in a lodging house. Oh, God. This is... And they started what will become known as the orphan trains. Oh, God. What? Give me a ghost train. (laughs) Any day. The plan was to just put kids on trains, have the train stop in towns, and people would come down to the train station and pick a kid. What? What? Like kittens? Or, yeah, but children. More fun. Everyone was apparently on board. This is insane. (laughs) This is the crazy trade. Everyone was apparently on board with this idea. And the what? First, 
the first. Come on, we're gonna go down to Penn Station. Pick out a boy. I can't. We can't. We, we look. We, no, the whole day's got to be cleared. We're gonna go find a couple of daughters. Yeah, we're gonna go down to a train and then just yank them off and raise them. No, no, they've been drinking rum and they have like dark histories. Yeah, they might feed the chickens. I don't know what they'll do. I'm excited to meet them. Oh. The first orphan train left New York on September 28, 1854. And then it pulled into the station and there was like no carts, just wheels. <laughs> Wait, where the what, what the hell happened? Where the hell's the train? CS took three types of kids. The children of destitute parents, and then vagrant kids, and then finally criminals. Altogether, 46 kids got on the first orphan trade headed for Dowajak, Michigan. <laughs> Just letting them loose in Michigan. They were sent, 46 kids, with one CSA agent to watch over them. No problem there. His name was E.P. Smith. Mm-hmm. First they took a... Ri- Eyes peeled Smith. Oh, fuck yeah. First they took a riverboat to Albany. Even though the idea was for everyone taking a kid to have a recommendation from a judge or pastor, that wasn't the case. No. As the first thing Smith did was let a passenger on the riverboat from Manhattan take one of the boys. I fell in love with one of them. <laughs> He's I've been petting him the whole ride. He won't oh, leave my arms. Oh, God. He stole everything out of my pocket. He's so great. <laughs> I don't know where my clothes are, but when I find them, it's exciting. When they got to Albany, Smith replaced that boy with another kid he met in the Albany railroad yard. What? Because he still needed, he wanted to have the right number. <laughs> Bring him along. You know what? Boy, this worked out great. I'm going to get inventory. This right? is an orphan train. We'll explain on the way. I, I'm, I'm going to be inventoried. inventoried. I need another boy. Whew, thank God. I was about to put a dog in a suit. The receipt's got a match. Come on. Smith never bothered to verify whether or not the boy was an orphan, as the boy claimed. And then they boarded the train. I think that might be problematic. When his parents are like, Henry! Smith kept a journal, so we know how the first train ride went. <laughs> Journaling, honestly, yeah. is such a mistake at times. The children were immigrants from many different countries. There were Italian, Norwegian, German, and Irish kids. Most were between between 10 and 12. One was six. The conductor told them they had arranged for the children to have their own train car, but that was not how it worked out. They were packed into a car with many others. It was a freight car with rough benches installed the benches had no backs the only ventilation came when they opened the sliding doors oh jesus some of the orphans crawled under the benches because the freight car was so packed with people this was before electricity so just no lights at night just a dark nightmare car no one was allowed to get off until the train reached michigan so a quote bathroom was rigged inside i i'm glad we got there because my first question was going to be all he wrote it's a fucking bucket in the corner like what else could it be and then you would throw it out like what else could a bathroom be rigged turn a boy into a toilet if you gotta go go on ralph they do that at ikea (laughs) that's right yeah the boy for gargan Smith said the other people on the train were not of great character. That's so weird that people people who would buy a ticket to be in a freight car wouldn't be of great character. Hmm, I'll tell you what, this ride's a little more awkward than I anticipated. (laughs) And he refused to to write about the worst acts they committed, but he did say they swore a lot and drank a lot of whiskey. I'm sure it was way worse than that. One passenger had a fire going in the corner of the train car, which made it very smoky because 
It was a train car. Hey, uh, we was thinking you could maybe clear it with the rest of us before you light the car on Shut fire. Shut your faces. Okay. Are you not going to have them? Does anyone mind if I light a small fire over here? Hey, guys. You guys cold? I'm going to light a fire on the train or car. Or is someone going to be weird about my open flame? Oh, I hate smoking. Oh, it spreads. PC. After they arrived... Try to take our fire. The, tref- the, bu- the train arrived in Buffalo, New York, and, they- and then they were put on a steamer. They all got uh, seasickness, probably because the air was fouled by all the shitting animals on the deck above. Well, listen, you know what a steamer is. Uh, then they were put on another train in Detroit and arrived in Dowajak at 3 a.m., where they huddled together on the platform waiting for the sun to come up. Sounds like a good time. Their clothes... Were they which, tired? Uh, no, I'm sure okay, they were fine. Okay. Their clothes, which had uh, been given to them brand new when they left New York, were now stained and smelled of animal Give filth. them the new clothes once they've gone through Thank this part. you. It's like a graduation. The New York Times wrote, quote, Their expressions were weary, as if they had been caught doing something wrong and were wondering whether they were going to be punished. Sorry, in isn't that exactly what's happening? In some of the younger children, this weariness... Verged on fear. That's so weird. <laughs> they got scared because they were put in a train nightmare? <laughs> you guys are scared? Why? Because a man lit a fire in a dark fart car? You know, they say it's best for children is in the dark of night to take them and put them on a train and then it's... And then it's yeah, leave them with a head full of questions and lock them in the caboose for a night. <laughs> off another You'll town. find some great stuff. Everyone in town knew about the orphan train as the CAS had put ads in a local paper beforehand and posted flyers all around town. Uh, uh, <clears throat> come get a boy! Get a boy! Get a boy! Get a boy! Get two boys! Who wants a boy? Boys? Any boy? Boy? Two boys? Boy? 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 Two boys? 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 Got two boys? Got four boys? Got four boys? Do I hear seven boys? And there's no one there. It's just the lunatic. Got nine boys. Thirty-one boys. Anyone close it? Close it. Cops are here. Cops are arresting me for being crazy. Cops got handcuffs on me. That's two pairs of cuffs. Thirty boys. Forty boys. Going to the cop. See you later, everyone. They're gonna kill me. Go away, boys. The kids were then brought uh, onto a stage in a church and one by one stepped on a crate so people could inspect them. Oh, we got a lovely boy coming up next. Oh, look at this one. He's almost as pretty as a girl. He's four foot two, packing 79 pounds of sweet mitt magic. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Ralph. <laughs> Come on, Ralph, turn around. Show them all. That's not bottom. Okay, Ralph. He, he Ralph, <laughs> Ralph was the toilet on the train, so he's a little damaged. Uh, I said I didn't want to be a toilet boy again. All right, there'll be no more, no more talking from Ralph. Get Ralph off of there. Bring up Owen. Owen is a great specimen. Oh, you're gonna love Owen. Oh, Owen is very in this fall. Smith explained the program to the people. Talked about the, quote, ragged regiment, as he called them, mm-hmm. and asked for donations. Mm-hmm. He said the boys were handy and could learn any trade or labor, and the girls could be used for housework. <clears throat> I mean, that's kind of an... I mean, you <laughs> talk about sleeping with one eye open on night one of this experiment. Again, from the New York Times. The adults mingled with Smith's party. Some blinked back tears that such innocence should, have, should already have known such hardship. Others looked uh, them up and down and asked questions, trying to assess their strength and honesty, while one or two went so far as to squeeze the children's muscles and plunge a finger into their mouths to check their teeth. The kids were then given out the next morning at the local tavern where they had spent the night. The, The really perfect setting for this. Of the 46 kids, 37 were chosen by families that day. 
Oh, that's just awful for nine. I mean, those nine are like, ah. Could you imagine? Remember when you weren't picked for a game? Yeah. Of, like, kickball? Imagine not being picked for life. For life. Boy, you're not good enough to have around my house, you piece of shit. Give me the one with one arm. I don't know. His tongue felt weird. Go away. The other nine got back on the train and this time went to Chicago. Don't worry. They got a lot of idiots in that town. Where Smith then put them on a train to Iowa City all alone. Smith just got on a train to Chicago and headed back to New York. Well, I'm sure they all went to Iowa City. Well, the kids were met in Iowa City by a Reverend Townsend, whose job it was to then find homes for them. Oh, that's a task. Future trains would keep going from town to town and with the kids until they were all finally picked. That's right. I said future trains mm-hmm. because this was considered wildly successful. And more and more trains began making their way across the country full of children. Often the kids had no idea what was going on. Good. They just thought they were going on some crazy train adventure only to be passed to some stranger in a weird town. Sort of what cattle experience. Oddly, some of the kids were angry and resentful because they actually still had relatives in New York. This ain't Brooklyn. I was just with my Bobby Jim. (laughs) My Bobby Jim. My Uncle Jim. My Bobby Jim. My Uncle Jimmy He's not making any sense. Where's Uh, my Bobby Jim? I was with my Sally Ann. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. (laughs) Mm. So the kids arrive and they're pissed. Other kids were happy to suddenly have a family after living on the streets for so long. Okay. One young girl, Winifred Williams, who had been placed in an orphanage when she was a baby because her mother was unwed and thought her wealthy family would disown her. Winifred was put on a train at Grand Central Station with no idea what was happening. The train finally stopped in Kirksville, Missouri, and the children were taken to a packed church and told to sit in chairs on the stage. An old man with a white beard approached Winifred and pointed a bony finger at her. Santa? I'll take that one. My wife is sick and I need someone to wash the dishes. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. No, thank you. <laughs> That's how all good stories start. No, 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 no. So goes the beauty of adoption in middle 1800s. Oh, and that was that. Kids who only... Go live with Santa and wash his dishes. Kids who only spoke a foreign language... Had a rough go, often stopping at town after town until they found a family who spoke the same language. Ah, uh, we got a match! Oh yeah, Slovenia! Come on down! Descriptions of the kids would appear in ads before the trains arrived in town. I can't wait to meet Kevin. Here's one that was posted in a Nebraska newspaper. All children received under the care of the this association are of special promise in intelligence and health and are in age from one month to 12 years, and are sent free to those receiving them on 90, day, 90 days trial, unless a special contract is otherwise made. That's right, four easy payments of ninety nine ninety nine. 90 90-day trial, or we have a money-back guarantee. That's right, if you're not satisfied with your youth, just put it back in the original packaging and send it back to us, no cost at your expense. Full payment, get a boy for thirty five ninety nine. Not available in Hawaii every month. Homes uh, are wanted. A one month old, too? Yeah. Homes are wanted for the following children. Eight boys aged uh, 10, 6, and 4 years. English parents, blondes. Very promising. Two years old, blonde, fine looking, healthy, American. Has had his foot straightened. Walks now okay. My question was going to be about his foot. Is it straightened? Glad we got that out of the way. Walks now okay. Okay. 
Six years old, dark hair, and yes, good-looking and intelligent American. Ten babies, boys and girls, from one month to three months. I'll one, take all ten. One, one baby boy has fine head with face, black eyes, and hair, fat and pretty, three months old. Can I get the fat, pretty, black-eyed one? Uh, how, what is the best way to cook the, the little one? Sorry, I'm not going to give you the baby. What is the, which is the heat, which... Sir, how would sir. You, Open fire. Sir, we're, sir. Oven. Sir. Sir, we're trying to find homes for these children, and I'm not going to give it to you. But he's so plump. You get out of here. Oh Weren't you in Iowa City? Get out of here. I was. Get out of here. Quit trying to cook the babies. I've been in so many cities. Get out of here. This guy keeps trying to eat all the kids. And he never changes his story. He keeps asking how to cook them every city. What about that one? How much do you think that one would take to... To what? Are they seasoned? Get out! Back in New York, Charles realized the battle against street crime appeared unstoppable. The immigrants just kept flooding into the city, and with them came poverty due to lack of jobs and then crime. CS started offering reading courses, giving away medical and dental care. He also opened reading rooms to get people away from their tenements, which often had grog houses in, in the building. Amazing. At first, the reading rooms appeared successful, but quickly were abandoned as reading was not as fun as beer. Yeah. I mean, come oh, on. Man, what were you thinking? Yeah. Well, do you want to go down there and get housed with some of your best 11-year-old friends? Or do you want to take a magical journey through words? <laughs> By the time 1866 rolled around, larceny made up between one-third and one-half of all crimes committed in New York. Amazing. Lower Broadway became a pickpocket's paradise, the vast majority of whom were not being arrested. In 1870, CAS treated over 24,000 different children, which included 6,000 orphans and 15,000 homeless kids. And there were the babies. <clears throat> babies turned out to be a problem for CAS to unload on the orphan trains. Farmers were looking for kids who were ready to work which is the opposite of a baby. Right. I just love the idea of like a farmer feeling a baby's arm. Well, you think he can lift lumber? Oh, yeah, he can absolutely lift anything. Because yeah, he looks like he can't hold his head up. Well, I don't think that's fair. I mean, I, I, I think he's choosing to leave his head down. I'm telling you, I've seen this kid build a barn, okay, on his own. Okay, tell him to carry that chair across the room. Well, again, I, th I think he, uh, okay, but I, I will say this. He doesn't like to perform when I tell him to, but once you get him on the farm, he'll do anything. Hey, Casper. <laughs> Casper. 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 Hey, Casper, move that chair. Hey, Casper. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's got the... No, 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 hold on a second. Casper. Casper, move the chair. He doesn't... He looks like a baby. Yeah. Gotta be... uh, I'm telling you, once he gets going, you'll, you'll never see a kid lift like this. Did he roll over? Can he or did he? Can he? No. And he didn't. All right, I want the 12-year-old. Uh, well, may I make one more pitch here? Okay. You got to see this kid irrigate. <laughs> this kid, this kid, this kid, I don't know what your your farm, this kid irrigation-wise, he's one of the best baby yeah, minds we, we got, got going. we got wheat. We're okay with the... I, I'm telling you, you haven't, you have, we until don't you, got orchards. get him out there tilling. Get him out there tilling. Get him out there tilling. I want the 12-year-old. And the baby. Take the 12-year-old and the baby. I want the baby. Baby uh, comes with the 12-year-old. I want the baby. No, sir. No. Do they? Why do you want him? Does he come with lemon pepper? Why? Why would you ask that? I have Tabasco. Excuse me. Why do you want that? Jesus, he would. 
taste. Like, You're eating them. No, get out. It's the same guy. Get out. Get out. Come up with a lie. And there were a lot of babies. I think out. Casper's dead now that I'm looking at him close. <laughs> were, I don't think he made it through the night. And there were a lot of babies now being abandoned in New York City. In the city, there were... What does that even look like? Options. I mean, that, that you're just walking around and you're like, oh, a dying baby. Basically. <laughs> in the city, there were auctions called vendues in which people would bid for a baby and the lowest bidder would get the child. Why would you go? The lowest bid represented how little a bidder thought he could spend on food and clothing for the baby for one year. <laughs> Wait, you you need to back it up here. They, they had auctions. They had auctions. And, and everyone the person, would bid for the lowest amount. I can take care of that baby for $75. They were named. 70, I can do $74. They were named that tuning youths. I could do that baby for $69. Let's see you do that baby for $69. Good luck to that guy. That baby's going to die. Uh, that is insane. Named. <laughs> that is the name that tune. Name that tune for baby. I can raise that baby in five notes. <laughs> I can raise that baby in four. <laughs> Okay. Additional babies, uh, uh, sorry, abandoned babies were called foundlings. People would just leave babies on other people's doorsteps, hoping they had the ability to take care of the baby. What? Soon, receptacles were set up around the, what? New York City. Which where, night's baby night? Where people could it's drop, the pink bin, right? Drop off a baby. You put it in the pink bin? God damn it, Larry, that's the garbage can. Oh, boy, I filled it with babies. Can we just put our yard waste in the garbage and then put the garbage in the in the baby bin? <laughs> I don't want to restock the bay. There's nine of them. Oh my god! They're all crawling around in there. Can we just can we just leave those ones and we'll put the other? Come on, babies? hurry up! We gotta get to the street. The baby guy's coming. So yeah. they, they so they were. So there's, there's like I don't know what they are receptacles. So bins, boxes, cribs around New York City that like that like You'd the put nuns would leave in. out or whatever, and then you put a baby in it, and a nun would walk by and look for a baby in the. <laughs> Because America is fucking insane. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> For whatever reason, people also left babies at garbage dumps. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, they actually made a system where your horribleness could thrive, perhaps. And you're still like, I don't want to make the trip. That's like, that is literally like what people don't recycle. <laughs> For God's sakes, it's a different bag. Just do it. We've already ruined everything. Can we just make the crawl a little slower? Well, we're at the dump anyway. We might as well get rid of the baby. Just pretend like it fell out of the bag. Oops. Drive. Oh, God. In 1869, the I sisters... I think the fall woke him up. In, in 1869, the Sisters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul started the first foundling asylum. Within just a few months of opening, they had 123 babies. They kept expanding the building and getting more babies. Wet nurses were hired. What? Wet nurses. Oh, okay. You know. I've seen it. And, and the, the sequels. And the babies kept coming. Soon they were overwhelmed and the ba- with the babies and decided to start baby trains. <laughs> the difference between your face, 
Dave. Your face. Dave, you just said they decided to start baby trains. Your face is just so great. I'm crazy for thinking that you just said something. And I said they decided to start baby trains. You know what? Trains. Let's start baby trains. They were also called something else, mercy trains. <laughs> well, I know I went with babies. Uh, the big difference between the orphan trains and the baby trains was the... That, that they was, didn't use coal, they used babies. And you could just throw a baby off. Throw them in there. by and people could catch them. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Is that prospective parents were found ahead of time for the babies. People would ask for a specific hair and eye color combo. They'd choose a boy or girl. Then they, w- then they would have a number assigned to them. And a baby would have a num- that number stitched into their clothes. When Ugh. the baby arrived at the, on the train, the parents would have their adoption number written on a piece of paper, like a claim check. And someone would make sure it matched. Yeah. And off they go with their baby. There's your son, 18. There's your 18. You got an 18. I can't wait to raise 18. Hey, we got a, we got a 16 over here. I'm 16. You're 16? Yeah. Hey. Oh, wait. Sorry, I'm 19. I had that the oh, wrong whoops. way. Oh. That was close. Oh, I almost gave you that one. I was going to say, I wanted a girl. That yeah, would be insane. Well, that would terrible. I would have killed the boy. I've never died. Sir, what do you, what do you plan to do with nine? How, what are you going to do to... A stew. Excuse me? A sweet stew. You're going to make a stew or your name is stew? Oh, yeah. Get out. We have told you many times to leave. God, just you, lie to us. Just based him for a while. Get out of here. How does he keep getting in here? I think he has a train. The first baby train sped off in 1873. No one checked up on the prospective parents to see if they were decent. Good. While the orphan trains just went to farmland because they were to be used for labor. I mean, that's literally how they were selling the orphan trains as labor. Dave, just to be clear, this is a time in American history when people were sending mm-hmm. orphans and babies on trains Correct. just to put them anywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's, okay. That sums it up. I feel like we're going off the rails on a baby train. No. Baby. Uh, the baby trains went to the west and south. In one year alone, 300 babies were taken to the state of Louisiana. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, people had had it with the pickpocketing orphan criminals in New York. People began to demand a crackdown on the child pickpocketing problem. Besides just the orphan trains, they looked to the law and demanded the police finally do something. So, between 1869 and 1876, prosecutions of pickpockets tripled, increasing from 91 to 302 per year. And juries finally started convicting them. By 1876, 79% of pickpocketing cases ended in conviction. Wow. Meanwhile, judges started giving out brutal sentences. Before 1873, just a few teenagers had been sent to prison. The most in one year was six. In 1874 and 1876, 25 kids were sent to Sing Sing prison. It's fine. Well, that's where newsies should go. It's fine. Sing Sing, Sing Sing. <laughs> Sing, 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 sing. A 14-year-old Irish immigrant was sent to the House of Refuge for a year for stealing a dollar. Teenagers Josh Golden and Alfred Johnson, both who had pickpocketed 50 cents each, were given three-year jail sentences. Wow. John Kelly was given four years for stealing five cents. Oh, my God. A five-year-old was sent to an adult jail. Uh, I found a problem with our plan. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mr. Mouth. Yeah. You're going to Sing Sing. Why? Um, I said I made a boom boom. <laughs> That's it. Ten years instead of five. You keep it up. Um, what is love? Fifteen years. Uh, 
You keep going, you little bastard. I like little bouncing balls. 20 years! Um, Hard labor, sing, sing. Milk, can I have some? Solitary confinement. <laughs> Somebody make him stop talking. <laughs> Life! After 1875, courts convicted over 1,500 children aged 14 years or younger. In 1876, New York convicted 9,500 teenagers, 2,600 who were under 14. When a pickpocket hit 15 now, he had as good a chance uh, to be in the penitentiary. He could be convicted as a street Arab. Yes. He, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he had just as good a chance to be in the penitentiary as one of the, you know, houses for refuge or right. lodging or whatever. Uh, 85% of convicted uh, 16 and 17 year olds ended up in Sing Sing. So clearly the orphan trains were going to continue. The CAS was trying to help these kids by giving the uh, uh, them a way to start over. Right. And, and, and the court system, it was believed, was creating permanent criminals. Yeah. But so were the CA, CAS lodging houses. Oh, God. Between 1854 and 1885, over 150,000 boys entered the multiple CAS lodging houses in New York. The average stay was one week, which wasn't the best to reform a criminal. Oh, but no, it they, takes a week. They did become a great way for kids to learn something else. Crime. Yeah, networking. A newspaper reporter wrote, quote, The lodging houses and other places where boys assemble are training schools for vice. One former resident said youth became, quote, the swellest of crooks. Child pickpocket Larry Caulfield said as an inmate, older kids taught him how to, quote, bang a super. That was pickpocketing a watch by breaking it off the chain. Wow. So the CAS continued with the orphan trains as they appeared to be successful. Though by this point, the Catholic Church became concerned that Catholic children were being put in Protestant homes. Well, the Catholics have always had empathy towards the kids. <laughs> they should be living here, in the Vatican. So priests started announcing in towns that a train was coming and Catholics would sign up to take a Catholic child. They did not seem to be as concerned that siblings were often being split up on the auction platform. Ugh. I mean that right there, like. Yeah, they're more concerned about him, a Protestant kid, yeah, a Protestant family taking a Catholic kid. <sighs> oh, up on the auction platform became the origin of the turn up for adoption. Oh. Except here, a farmer was picking up his indentured servant. Wow, it's because that's what they were being billed as workers for your farm. Ugh. Often kids, quote, took turns giving their names, singing a little ditty, or saying a piece up on the platform. It'd be real nice up there. Hey, you sing a song, you're going to get taken by a nice family. It's the good ship, lollipop, it's a sweet trip to the Hey, king. I want that one, he's pathetic. Um, not what I was going for. <laughs> it was said uh, the people taking kids were screened, but that wasn't necessarily true. Applicants for children... You want a kid? Yeah. Screening's over right here. Oh, Actually, thank you get you. a couple right here. You thank you. Take the brother, leave the sister. Applicants for children were supposed to be screened by communities of local businessmen, ministers, or physicians, but the screening was rarely very thorough. Good. Some weren't screened. Sort of like a smog check. Yeah. Right. Some weren't screened at all. They would come up and ask for a kid, and the CAS agent would look them over to see if they had decent clothes and were clean. He'd ask them about their property jobs and if they went to church. 
If he didn't think they were liars or degenerates, he'd give them the kid. It's like customs. Yeah. Good. It is like customs. Yeah, go ahead, take one. You look you seem good. Fine. You got a nice sweater. Thank you. You want two? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. And it was said there would be follow-up home visits by agents, but that was clearly impossible with thousands of children being given away. Right. The CAS would often send a letter of inquiry to see how things were going. Check yes for fine. <laughs> no for dead. Uh, but uh, in most cases, the letters were not answered. Right. This uh, system led to abuse for some, and some of them would run away now being homeless in an entirely different area that they were completely... Fresh meat. To. It is believed 75% of the kids had normal, good lives, but the other 25%, not so great. The unfortunate were not fed well and worked hard until they became adults. Even the ones that did have good lives were teased in school for being trained children. A trainee! Mm. Was, my parents died and they put me on a... Shut up, trainee. Shut up, you stupid train kid. Others feared the kids coming to their small towns. They thought the orphans would bring crime and violence yeah. to their town. This led to kids often not being trusted by people in the community. And <laughs> so amazing oh, to think for time. It's all good. People there, just no part of this hated kids. Yeah. Everyone. For being an orphan. Yeah. And unfortunately, not all the kids on orphan trains were orphans. What? Some had been separated from their families or siblings. One report from 1873 said 40% of children placed that year had at least one parent alive. What? The CAS always got permission in writing from the parents, but the problem with that was was that not all of the parents spoke English, so they had no idea they would never see their kid again. Avada's yes, mean. Yeah, it's good. He's gonna. We're going to take him on a ride, a little trippy trip. Vid's, vid a yes. 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 Okay. Thanks. All right, say goodbye, Vaughn. Bye, yes, Vaughn. Okay. Bush. Yep. Take a little train trip. Vaughn? Right. Yep. Get yourself a job, scumbag. Who's Vaughn? Yep, sure. Yes. Uh-huh. Javon. Yeah. Okay. Yes. How about bye-bye? Bye-bye. Yep. All right, see ya. Get a Fish job. Vaughn, 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 Vaughn. Come on. Even when they did know uh, what was happening... The kids. It wasn't what they thought. One kid was given an envelope from his dad when he left. Inside was his father's contact info. So this father keep knew, in touch. This father knew what was happening. He was like, "Okay, this can be a better life for him. I'll give him up for this, but I'll still he'll know where I am. He'll have a pen pal. We, we, yeah, we'll be yeah, we'll be a able pen to keep dad. In touch. Right? Yeah. But what when happened? he got on the train, the CAS chaperone told him he wouldn't need the envelope and took it from him. There you go. He never saw his father again. Take care. The demand for kids was huge. In Maryville, Texas, train after train came through as 150 families wanted children. There were actually fights in the street because there were so many people and so few children when a train arrived. What? And other cities got in on it because of the success New York was having. Boston and other cities on the East Coast. And then large Midwest cities like Chicago were all putting kids on trains and sending them off to the life of an indentured what servant. What is happening? <laughs> What is happening? <laughs> Charles Franklin was one such kid. He was six and only spoke German. We're pro-choice. As in you get to decide if you keep it or not, just put it on a train. Dude, put it on a train. Hey, there's more kids on this train than when we got to this town. Shh. Go ahead. Start her up. Fire up. One name was... Uh, okay, so this kid's six. His name was pinned on his jacket. When he got uh, uh, off the train from New York in Rockford, Illinois, he was put in a covered wagon with some other kids. They were taken... 
in the wagon on an overnight trip by a farmer to Durant, Illinois. There, other farmers came and each picked one of the kids out of the wagon. Charles went with an Irish family, so he could not talk to them because they spoke English and he spoke German. So, he, he worked hard. Are you ready to work hard for us? <laughs> Very hard. You ready to work hard? You ready to work hard there? Well, did you got, uh, ah, you okay? huh? What? Hard. Velks. Yeah. Okay, get out there. Bang. Get going. Bang. All right. Bang. Why are you standing there? Bang. Yeah. What are you, a fucking idiot? Yeah. Pick up the shovel. Go. Ask him. Yeah. Mickey. Hey. James. Hey. Beat the shit out of this one. Fine. Can you beat the fucking German out of him? Absolutely. It's going to take a while, though. He was worked hard, very hard. The family was not loving at all. Hey, remember being six? (laughs) Remember that? He was just simply a servant or, you know, a slave. Whatever you want to call it. When he was 17... One night he told the family he was going to the outhouse and left and never came back. What took so long? Fuck, I don't know. But some kids would lash out when they were being inspected by the crowd. Eight-year-old shoeless Elliot Bobo was put on an orphan train. (laughs) I want the shoeless Bobo boy. Jesus Christ, how many clown kids are we going to put on the train? How about how many clowns are fucking having kids, by the way? (laughs) This is like the 15th clown kid. I'm Bobo. (laughs) I'm Bobo the fucking clown. I'm Bobo the thief. I can't stop making kids. <laughs> uh, so Elliot Bobo's put on. I want to have a clown car when I'm done. <laughs> Thirty-five. Uh, so he's put on orphan train after his mom died and his dad became a raging alcoholic. At the town the train stopped in, he had a farmer come up to him and squeeze his muscles, then say, "Oh, you'd make a good hand on the farm." Elliot yelled, you smell bad. The man then grabbed Elliot by the arm and was going to take him when Elliot bit him. Oof. But that didn't work. Then Elliot kicked the man, and that was it. Now no one wanted him. He then sat crying in his chair, and no one tried to soothe him. He eventually was taken by someone in another town and actually ended up having a good life with a loving family. Okay. All right. Smart kick. There were, a few, there were a few success stories. Two orphan trained boys became governors. One became a Supreme Court justice, and several became mayors, congressmen, and local representatives, though many children grew up to be drifters and thieves. At least one became a murderer. But overall, the lives, their lives were probably better. The main goal of Charles Bruce's plan was to remove children from slums where they had few opportunities or hope and to place them in good Christian homes. His program would turn out to be the forerunner of modern foster care. Many of the kids were better off. Quote, we were hungry. I don't ever recall taking a bath in a tub of water. We slept on old, dirty mattresses on the floor, and the rats ran over our heads and through our hair lots of nights, and we'd wake up screaming on the street. We, don't know where, we didn't know where our parents were. We never did know. So that seems a lot worse than living on a farm, at least on one, with an okay family. Charles Brace died in 1890 while still running the CAS and the orphan trains. His sons then took over. The orphan trains ran for 75 years. The final one went to Texas in 1929. 
They stopped for several reasons. There was a decrease in the need for labor on farms. Also, social services agencies put more emphasis on trying to keep struggling families together. And then there was the rise of the welfare system, which helped those financially support their kids. New programs helped immigrants find job and housing. And new child labor laws limited the amount of hours a child could work. Other laws made it hard to move trainloads of kids from one state to another. Soon, individual and small group foster homes replaced the trains. During those 75 years, 200,000 children were moved by train oh from cities God. to farms or homes. That is crazy. <laughs> 75 years there were orphan trains. No one knew about it until the 70s. Really? No one, no one wrote about it. All of a sudden, one person wrote a book about it. No one talked about it. It's just like it didn't happen. That's so crazy. And what honestly is, and I think part of the you know part of the thing is that it just sounds so crazy, but it, it is some like those are similar conditions in countries now that that kids live in. Oh, totally. I mean. They get they get they get pawned off on other people. They get they get sold. It's good to know that we had uh, uh, kid slaves too. <laughs> well, that's just it. So we had slavery for all those years, and the North is talking about right. Yeah. So the North was doing this. This is what the North was doing on their farms, taking fucking children off trains and making them work. See, and then liberals solve. Is liberals will solve thing. it. Liberals will solve it. And they're working children. Yeah, but white ones. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It is, uh, it really is just all so fucked. We sign cars. <sighs> <laughs> oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth. You know from this. Uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help. 
with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it. But either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. 